This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 17th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When ranchers, loggers, and other extractive users of land want access to federal lands, they typically don't pay a market price. So why are conservationists left out of competing for these kinds of deals? And what does that mean for conservation? I spoke with Sean Regan of the Property and Environment Research Center last week in Bozeman, Montana. The history uh, to the use of, of public resources on, on public lands in the American West uh, you know, goes back a long ways to the 19th century when settlers uh, moved west and began to settle uh, in, through the, homestead, uh, the various homestead acts to settle the west. And you had institutions emerge like what's called the prior appropriations doctrine, which is the institution governing the use of uh, water in the West. And this, what the, the basis of that system was that you, in order to get a water right, you had to put water to a, a beneficial use. And the notion of beneficial use was defined pretty narrowly at the time for, for good reason. It meant you had to divert the water for uh, irrigation, for example. Um, and if you weren't putting the water resource to good use, uh, you were at risk of, of of losing that right to the resource. So the the water rights system in the American West is very much a use it or lose it system. And uh, what we document in our work here at PERC is how those institutions often uh, create challenges to uh, addressing uh, conservation-oriented, say, non-use concerns through market mechanisms. So how do people, what do people pay typically if you're diverting water from a river or you're doing logging or you're doing some kind of grazing or some other extractive uh, purpose that you're putting the land uh, to use for? Uh, what do people tend to pay for that? Well, each system is a little bit different. So uh, with water rights, it's different than grazing. Grazing is a system where the rights to those to, to grazing uh, on public lands is tied to a specific property, a specific homestead. Um, and that system continues today. With timber, it's, a, it's just a lease for uh, a timber sale for, to cut the trees. And for water, it's a different system. But uh, for each of those, it's this notion of you're putting it to use. You're either cutting the trees, you're grazing the grass, you're... Uh, you're, you're using the water for a beneficial use, or in the case of energy resources, you're developing the resources. And so there's leasing systems at the federal level that are, are uh, kind of unique to each of those resources. And uh, those leasing systems are really set up only for one specific use. So in the case of energy, it's ener- energy development. In the case of timber, it's cutting trees. And in, in a sense, in this new world of, of conservation-oriented demands for amenity value, for conservation, for uh, wildlife habitat, all these new demands that we're seeing, uh, you know, they don't ha- they can't play directly into the, those institutions through market mechanisms. They have to operate sort of outside of it. So we see a lot of controversy with uh, litigation and politics uh, trying to operate outside of those leasing systems to say, you know, limit the use of public rangelands for grazing or to, to keep trees standing instead of cutting them. So uh, in these leasing systems that that function, is, is this just a, a flat rate? These these people don't seem to be bidding for the opportunity to make use of these lands for the, you know, harvesting timber or diverting water, that sort of thing. Right. In the case of, of, of grazing, there is a flat rate. It's set each year by the government about uh, it's uh, something like a a dollar thirty five cents per AUM per animal unit month. So there is a flat rate that that ranchers pay to graze livestock on uh, public rangelands. Uh, the system is different for for timber. It's actually a competitive bidding system. But again, you're only bidding against timber other timber companies. And so when there's a conflict between a different you know use of that 
timber, whether it's for recreational values or uh, amenity values to keep the trees standing. You don't have a way of, of, you know, those values aren't expressed through those systems that are only oriented towards resource-based extractive uses. Okay. So uh, I'm the president of uh, Caleb's Conservation Club, and I am interested in getting access to a particular chunk of land for the purpose of doing essentially nothing, maybe making it a little more hospitable for certain species or just making sure that extractive uses are not uh, uh, done on this particular hunk of land. It, what's my recourse? Yeah. So right now, federal laws generally prohibit environmentalists from participating in these markets. So uh, we've documented uh, many examples of of, of individuals or conservation groups attempting to acquire leases to say energy resources only to be denied them when they weren't uh, when they declared that they weren't going to develop the resource or groups that have uh, tried to acquire grazing permits but when they uh, when they ob- obtained the right to those resources uh, they were told that they had to graze cattle on the rangeland or they would lose the right so uh, the, the federal agency could give the the permit to some other rancher who was going to put it to use again sort of a use it or lose it system and obviously that creates uh, challenges for the conservation or- organization who's trying to use a sort of market-based approach to conserving resources if you if you can't legitimately obtain or or, or maintain the the resource the uh, rights to the resource if you're not going to use it yeah we have in in some of these and it's is it proper to even call them markets i wonder because uh to the extent that they're paying a flat rate there isn't necessarily a competitive process you said there is some with uh with timber but um it, to the extent that there isn't a competitive process we don't know what the the value of uh those grazing permits or the or diverting water we don't know what the value of those are I think that's right. I think we don't know in the case of, you know, a, a proposed timber sale is, is, is it, is the highest valued use of that land, uh, to cut the trees for, for, uh, for, for timber, or is it to keep the trees standing for, for conservation? And there's an interesting case going on here in our backyard outside of Bozeman, um, on some, some state land where, uh, just earlier this year, a, a group, uh, uh, bid for a timber lease with the, with the goal of not harvesting the trees. And it was an interesting case study in this because it's state land and state lands are managed a little bit differently than the federal lands. And in this case, these particular state lands are managed just uh, to maximize revenue for for public institutions in the state. Um, So here it actually was an interesting example because the state was in a position of having to say, well, if the conservation-oriented bidder is is the high bidder, do we have to accept this bid? Because if our if our mandate is to maximize revenues for public institutions, then we we have to be relatively ambivalent as to whether you know the the resource user is going to uh, cut the trees or not. And so, uh, what ultimately happened was the the conservation oriented group won the bid, and they now have the the rights to keep the trees standing. And this was done in a way to protect. A, a, a view shed that was important to the local community uh, for an area that has important recreational value to the community as well as wildlife value. And, you know, they were able to use sort of market mechanisms to express those values, not through legal channels or political means, but through a, a leasing system that actually allowed their interests to be expressed. How might this work in water? 
So water is an interesting example of this where we actually have seen at the state level a lot of institutional change, a person a lot of work to document uh, the various ways in which states in the West have, have uh, altered their beneficial use doctrine to understand or to, to incorporate uh, non-use. So there's now a lot, in many Western states opportunities for environmental water markets. So groups uh, before under their prior, appro uh, prior appropriation doctrine, uh, you, you had to put the water to a beneficial use, which was typically irrigation. Uh, many states have now said, well, beneficial use can include things like in-stream flows for fish and wildlife habitat. And that's opened up a whole bunch of possibilities. And, and we see a lot of groups taking advantage of this, of actually contracting with other water users to obtain water rights, not for traditional uses for irrigation, but for fish and wildlife habitat. And so water is a good example of this. Where we actually do see a lot of institutional change at the state level, but many of the federal federal institutions that govern uh, timber, grazing, energy uh, have not seen such change to their sort of idea of what a, a legitimate beneficial use is for, for these leasing systems. And it's not to say that we don't see, you know, conservation activities being done on those lands. It's just that they're not taking place through these sort of, you know, exchange-based, rights-based market-based approaches that we see in, in the case of water. All right. So uh, going forward, I know, you know, particularly with in-stream flows, with trying to build uh, out like habitat for fish that could be frankly quite profitable and has has been profitable for some states. Some private developers have, have done that uh, to uh, create a uh, an amenity for uh, people for which they would like to develop uh, housing and that sort of thing. Um, what stands in the way at, at both the state and federal level to adopting this these kinds of, of markets and making them substantially closer to actual markets uh, than they are right now? Yeah, there's there's many things at the federal level. So, I mean, in 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 the case of energy development, energy royalties are a major source of revenue for the federal government and also for many states and local communities through revenue sharing agreements. And and so there's a lot of questions about what what would this mean if we're going to sort of allow open up these bidding markets to uh, conservationists and we're going to have energy leases being obtained by conservation organizations that aren't going to be developing the resource, what's going to happen to those royalty payments? And so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of questions as to how you would design these institutions in ways that would be able to accommodate uh, conservation bidders and would still, you know, th there should be ways to generate revenue. There certainly would be a bidding mechanism to obtain the lease, but on an ongoing basis, when you're talking about royalty payments that are tied to extracting of the, the resource, there's some questions there. Um, so there's things like that. There's also questions of, you know, what is what does it mean to obtain the lease? So in the in the timber example outside, outside of Bozeman that I described, one of the major questions um, that the state had to, had to uh, deal with in that case was, well, how long should this lease be for? So the under the traditional model, when a timber company would bid for the lease, they get the right to harvest the current crop of timber that was put up for auction. Uh, in the case of the non-use bidder, the question is, well, how long do, does the conservation organization get to protect the trees and leave them standing? And this was a question that there was no guidance. Uh, this, the Montana statute governing this this issue provided no guidance. It was a case by case sort of thing that the state had to de to determine. Yeah, it's and like they, a, it's like a one time extraction versus an ongoing uh, protection of, exactly. of the land. Exactly. And so they estimated that it, if they harvested the trees, it would take about a hundred years to grow back. Uh, but they offered the lease to the conservation bidders. They essentially get a 25-year deferment in that case. So in 25 years, 
those trees can go back up for auction and the group could either attempt to try to bid for it again or or that it could go to a, a logging company. So so there's lots of questions as to how these things can work and 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 we're interested in, in thinking through what those uh, how those might look. Uh, but but those are the sorts of questions that have been raised in this context is if we do open up these these bidding markets to more users, how do we structure them in, in ways that that are seen as legitimate, can actually function well, and can generate revenue for uh, you know the, the communities and the federal government in the ways that they do today. Yeah, you might think that both the feds and states would be wouldn't care one way or another about who obtained the lease, but there are considerations for the land, for in the case of water, downstream uh, consumers of 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 that water, and uh, you know there are there are some specific considerations that you might not consider right off the bat. Yeah, there's and even in the case of the timber the other thing is is wildfire. So what happens if because we're not managing this forest for timber, what if the whole thing you know goes up in in a in a, in a major wildfire because we didn't do this management. So there's there's questions like that about what, you know the resource itself and and is non-use a proper use in terms of the overall health of the of the landscape uh, in the long run. And so uh, that's a that's a question that you often often here raised in that context as well. And there's also, you know, an anti-competitive nature of this where there, you know, there are groups out there that have a vested interest in the status quo where you have a market that doesn't incorporate these other values that are increasingly, you know, uh, becoming really important, especially in in many places in the American West in Bozeman where you have environmental high, you know, demand for environmental quality and amenity values associated with some of these, uh, these regions. So, you know, if we, if we, don't have those demands being expressed through these leasing systems. If you're an extractive user, you might prefer that model because it's it's less competitive. Yeah, I can imagine if your uh, your business model as a as a cattle producer or as a timber company is, I don't want to bid against someone else for this for the use of this land. Yeah, I think, and and at the end of the day, though, I think that these environmental demands are not going away. And the ultimate question is how are we how do we resolve these conflicting use and non-use based demands. And I think that's the fundamental question. Uh, you know, already these resource users, uh, such as livestock uh, uh, users of public land, have already seen dramatic cutbacks in the amount of grazing that they're allowed to do on, on public rangelands, uh, due in large part to uh, you know, federal environmental laws and, and litigation that are often um, kicking them off the land uh, without compensation. And, and, and so, you know, these things are going to happen. It's sort of a question of are, are these environmental demands going to be expressed through market mechanisms that respect existing rights holders and seek an honest bargain and reflect the opportunity costs associated with the, the res- with the resource? Or are they going to be done, you know, through legal mechanisms or political mechanisms that are zero sum and that take rights away from existing users? So we're interested in, you know, what market solutions could look like and and are still exploring that in many of these different cases, but ultimately in a way that, you know, that these these conflicts over resource use can be resolved in a more of a positive sum manner rather than a zero sum manner. Sean Regan is director of publications and a research fellow at the Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman, Montana. We spoke last week in Bozeman. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 